Hey everyone, it's PJ here, and we're on our daily podcast number 37. And today I want to finish off um, the survey of Theology at the Movies by John Frame, the systematic theologian. And uh, I want to just close off our discussion by going over a couple, maybe two or three of the actual movie reviews that he wrote. And I think that will be the best way to see how he's applied the principles that we've been addressing in the past couple of episodes and the questions he's been encouraging Christians to raise when they're at the movies. And I, th- I was really enjoying just reading some of his reviews of these uh, older movies because uh, it's just a really good example of um, what he's talking about in terms of uh, questions we should be raising and um, seeking to answer when we go to these movies. And so let me just kind of go down some of these uh, excerpts and share those with you. And I think that will give you a better idea of uh, what he's talking about. What I'm going to do is skip over some of the more general information like the cast and uh, the studio and also the, the rating, which you can all find if you go on these days, you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you can find all that information. And you should look that up just to know what you're kind of, you know, getting into there. Uh, and then move on to just his description of the, the themes in the movie in general and sort of the uh, spiritual and moral um things that are underneath um, uh, the film itself. The first movie review that I want to share with you is his review of Schindler's List by Steven Spielberg. And he starts off by describing this great movie as a masterful uh, movie by Spielberg. It's uh, it's an enormous movie. Uh, Directorally, it's very challenging to make, and yet he's done a masterful job at that uh, it's a powerful movie if, if you haven't seen it uh, I would recommend it as well um, but here's kind of the the way that he um, um, analyzed it that that really surprised me because there are parts in it that I, I, I've seen this movie a few times but I, I missed uh, themes that I had missed um, as well and something that I haven't noticed before that he points out here how is how this main character, Oskar Schindler, the German businessman who is uh, part of the Nazi party and um, very rich, uh, who begins to um, hire Jewish workers and, um, and now begins to make a profit using their labor. And yet over, over time, it, for him, it becomes a tool with which he saves many of their lives by keeping them in his factories rather than uh, sending them off to uh, these camps uh, to be put to death, um, like so many were as they were routed to Auschwitz. And, you know, I didn't notice this, but uh, uh, Dr. Frey mentions how in the movie, you don't see how he comes to this change in his convictions. Um, he seems to have this natural shift in his moral convictions at some point in the middle of the movie, but it's not clearly told to us how he's come to this change. And then uh, he points this out, quote, Schindler displays his changed convictions in his acts, not speeches, soliloquies, or emotional outbursts, end quote. And that really jumped out at me. I didn't notice that until I read that. 
that uh, the change in Schindler is not something that's explained to us via speeches or emotional outbursts, but through his actions. And how appropriate is that given the context he was in? I mean, if you have all kinds of conviction, but if you don't act on upon it, what, what good would be those convictions, uh, especially during this period of time? But he puts his convictions into action, and that's the focus of the whole film. And I, I didn't notice that until uh, he mentioned that to me. And that's, that's a question that we can be asking, right, is um, where do we see this person's evidence of change, right? Uh, in addition to asking how did this person change, we can ask where's the evidence of this person's change, and uh, what is what is the filmmaker uh, emphasizing here? Is it uh, a speech that somehow uh, is impressively conveying his changing visions, or is he emphasizing uh, actions that really bring about the needed change in his context? And that's what we get in Schindler's List, is. Um, much needed action and then he brings out another parallel or I should say illusion that uh, I, I didn't think of at all and that is the biblical illusion to uh, Moses and Pharaoh's confrontation uh, where Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says you know let my people go and here uh, Schindler in a sense plays that type right Moses type and uh, tr seeks to liberate at least a part of um, uh, the Jewish people, uh, a, a small number of them. Um, and later he mentions how uh, the actually the generations that come out of the survivors of that during that time, Schindler's uh, survivors, um, ha now have 6,000 uh, descendants contrasting that to 4,000 Jews who actually remained alive from in Poland during World War II, that's a significant number. Although it's, it's not compared, you know, it's small compared to the millions, but um, it's still a significant number. Now, uh, but the, the difference, difference, of course, is that Moses was a Jew, and here Schindler is, is not a Jew, and Schindler is actually a, a Nazi. But what's interesting about that is, is Moses was also raised in the Egyptian palace uh, in, um, as, as, a, as an Egyptian. And he uh, was educated as an Egyptian. He uh, learned all their language and customs, right? So in a way, Moses was uh, in many ways uh, similar to an Egyptian. And yet he's the one who liberates the Jews from the uh, Egyptian slave masters. And so in a sense, the irony is still here. Uh, there is a parallel in the irony of how uh, it is Schindler, the, the German businessman who liberates uh, the uh, Jewish people. And, uh, and you, of course, see how uh, parallel, of course, in how Moses was moved by seeing the oppression of his people up close and uh, there's a scene that Schindler also has that sort of a uh, encounter um, just as Moses led the people through the wilderness Schindler also takes uh, a, a, a huge amount of people uh, a workforce through uh, from Poland to Czechoslovakia and so there's that journey in the wilderness as well and so there's a lot of biblical illusion that I totally missed that frame points out and I think I thought it was really interesting um, but in, in sort of conclusion um, 
I think he, he raises some really pertinent questions for us today, and that is, you know, uh, as Christians, we can ask, uh, where were the Christians during this period, and why were they so silent? Um, why was the church almost invisible during this time? Of course, there were a small number of uh, Christian resistance, right, uh, within, within Germany uh, who were martyred because of their um, objection to Hitler. But uh, overall, the church was silent on this, and why? And kind of raising that question today, you know, are we silent about certain uh, uh, moral atrocities today? Are we complacent in that way? It, it really kind of uh, makes you ask that question. Now, and then he also, uh, I think, addresses a very important philosophical question, and that is, you know, where was God? When, when all this went down. And I appreciate that, you know, Frame doesn't try to answer that as if he has the answer because nobody does. He doesn't trivialize the matter by trying to give a simplistic answer to this. But what he does say is also very helpful. Uh, what, you, what we don't get to say is because of the Holocaust, we know therefore God doesn't exist. Because if anything, uh, what the Holocaust disproves is this ethical relativism and uh, secular humanism that says morality is just human convention and evil is not an objective thing, it's just a man-made idea. Because when you look at the Holocaust, what we see is pure evil. Um, and we're not simply going to say Hitler just had a different set of opinions. He was simply wrong. He was evil, he was wicked, objectively speaking, and timelessly speaking. It, it, the, it really doesn't matter what culture you're from or what time period you're from, you, you look at that and you ought to, right? You ought to condemn that. And that enforces the, the of course, the biblical principle of objective morality, uh, of there being an absolute good and absolute evil, which is something that we draw from the absolute character of God, His absolute holiness and righteousness, apart from which um, you really can't have anything objective. Everything is relative and subjective and it's just a matter of personal opinion. You don't get to tell anybody that they're wrong, really, uh, because everyone's entitled to their own opinion. There's no transcendent authority. And so, uh, if anything, um, what this movie, in a way, should nudge us towards is that reality of morality, uh, rather than questioning the reality of morality. Um, lastly, I, I really appreciate how he points out, uh, again, just the desperate need for uh, uh, a savior and redeemer, which we have in the person of Jesus Christ, who came into this world and suffered horrific atrocities. Um, he understands the brokenness of humanity. He was in it. He suffered it himself. But he also offers to humanity uh, justice, forgiveness, and eternal life. That's the Savior we need, who can really address all these very imminent, tangible realities that we face. And so the biblical story, in a way, is very well reflected in a movie like Schindler's and that period like World War II, where we see all the problems of humanity magnified, and, and therefore the need for our Savior, a Savior and a Redeemer magnified. And, and he closes by saying, uh, quote, this story raises some questions that are difficult for Christians or anyone to answer. But it also raises some that only Christianity can resolve, end quote. Yeah. There's some questions that's going to be tough for Christians to answer. Like, where was God when this happened? Why didn't God stop this? Okay. 
But he also raises questions that only Christians can answer, and that is, who is, who is the Savior and Redeemer of God's people? Who will bring not only justice, but forgiveness to this world and restore life to a dying uh, world? And the answer is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Um, and I feel like the next time I watch this movie, um, all these things that frame points out, I think will come back to my mind. And I think when I, if I were to approach another movie, uh, I would keep these themes in mind as well. And, and so questions being, you know, what are the harder questions that this poses to Christians? And what are some of the um, answers that only Christianity can give to these problems uh, being raised in the film? So those are good questions to ask. Um, and just as, you know, in this movie, it in a sense presupposes or assumes a certain Christian view of morality. Is there a way in which whatever movie we watch is, is assuming the same thing, the same reality of good and evil, um, and that it is not just some man-made concept, as a lot of well-known atheists have claimed, like Nietzsche and Bertrand Russell. Uh, for these men um, and these thinkers, Morality is not an absolute principle. It's not an objective thing. It is a human convention. It changes over time. And therefore, the reality is uh, something that is rooted in uh, the human mind and not in, in something that transcends the human mind. Uh, and so you can't claim anything to be timelessly and absolutely good or evil. Um, and, and, and so it really undermines the the moral intuition that we have and the importance of freely choosing to behave in, in moral moral ways because uh, in, a, in a naturalistic, materialistic worldview, you don't even get to have anything like the free will, uh, which is not a tangible scientific thing. Uh, it is a philosophical concept at best. And um, therefore, uh, it's really hard to argue that anyone should be held morally accountable for anything they do. And so it brings to mind the the quote by from Dostoevsky uh, that if God does not exist then all things are permissible all right let me just stop there I was gonna go I was gonna go to the next movie but I think for the sake of time I'll just pause there and then I hope I just hope that gives you a sense of uh, uh, you know questions that you can be asking and themes you can be thinking about when you watch uh, the next movie uh, think about the same themes and, and use that as an exercise of you know how to use discernment biblical discernment when you watch a movie that's made by a secular person and acted by secular actors and actresses because uh, in so many ways uh, they're telling uh, a similar story, if not identical story, a similar story to the one that we see in the Bible. Uh, and that's because these are people who live in the real world uh, with real world problems and hope for a real world solution. And the Bible gives us all three, right? Um, a picture of real world with real people hoping for a real salvation. And so I think with enough discernment, we're bound to see certain parallels. And of course, we'll see differences as well, and we'll see contrasts, and we can be discerning of that to the degree that we are rooted in God's Word, and we're continuing to be uh, uh, shaped by and formed by the Word of God. That should give us the uh, the discernment to then go into the world to see how we can engage with the world and through film as one example to in, uh, get in touch with our culture and know how we can communicate to our culture the story of the gospel and understand that uh, in, at the deepest level, the longing they have 
can only be satisfied, only be met uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we can do is help them see that, help them connect the dots between um, the movies that really resonate with them and the, the gospel that can truly satisfy them. So I hope that uh, gets you off to a good start and we can, of course, you know, when this is over, grab coffee and talk more about these things. I hope that uh, you will continue to use good discernment when you uh, watch movies and have meaningful discussions with, with family members, with, uh, with uh, brothers and sisters at church. And yeah, let's continue to pray that, you know, as we uh, shelter in place during this season, that uh, we would sharpen our minds and we will not become, uh, we will not be complacent or indifferent, but continue to sharpen our minds through the study of God's word and engaging uh, with our culture as we are rooted in scripture. All right, I'll look forward to talking with you guys tomorrow.